0: Father, Your name is Holy, 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 Holy. Lord, on this side of eternity, we we say that and we wonder how we might say that through eternity. How the angels surround the throne saying, Holy, Holy, Holy. But Father, I can only imagine that that day when we're escorted into Your presence, that is all we'll be able to say. Holy, 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 holy are You, O Lord. And Father, we're in Your presence this morning. We pray that Your Spirit would move among us freely. That we would allow those channels in our hearts and our minds to be open for your spirit to speak to us let us know what what we should do how we should live and lord we will say holy 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 now and in the future that holy 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 will be perfect from our redeemed hearts in glory We thank you and praise you through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Now, uh, from a distance, uh, before I begin the the sermon proper, I just want to say that if you've never seen this illustration before that's on the letter to the church of Sardis, all you can see from out there is a skull, fairly morbid, isn't it? If you've never seen this before, after the service, I invite you to come and take a closer look. It's not what you think. Most uh, non-millennials recall the annual TV broadcast of The Wizard of Oz. So in the most uh, memorable scene in the movie, at least for me, you you have Dorothy, the scarecrow, the tin man, and the lion... And they've returned to Oz, and they've got the Wicked Witch's uh, uh, broom. The Wicked Witch of the West, they have her broomstick. Because he promised, if you bring that to me, Dorothy, I will give you a ride home. Scarecrow, I will give you a brain. Ten Man, I will give you a heart. And lion, I will give you courage. However, we know the end of the story, Right? The wizard told them return the following day uh, because he was trying to stall. He didn't think they would be successful and now he's got he's to figure out what to do. And so while they were pleading with him not to send them away, they were being mesmerized by this enormous image of uh, Oz, the wizard there, and the sound and the, the smoke and the voice, all of that. Designed to create an aura of power. The only one who was not mesmerized was Dorothy's dog, Toto. Now, Toto saw a little green curtain with some gold tassels there, and so he saw some movement back there and he wanted to check it out. So there he goes. He grabs the curtain, he pulls it open, and there's this little... Uh, elderly gentleman who was speaking into you know, a megaphone and moving levers and pushing buttons and doing whatever he can, and he sees that he's been spotted. And so he says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah, in vain, he'd been discovered. Now, all of you know uh, the movie, some of you've read the book, And you know why the Wizard of Oz is called Oz. His name was Oscar Zoroaster. And so he took the first initials of each of those and came up with Oz. Now the reason he had to do that is because as a child he was bullied because the rest of his name, some of you be quick and spell this out, was Fadrick, Isaac, Norman, Hinkle, Emmanuel, Ambrose, Diggs otherwise known as Pinhead. And so he went by Oz instead. If you read the book, you already knew that. And he was tired of being bullied. He was, in fact, because of his name, forced into a place where everything around him was inauthentic. And it was fake. He was presenting to the world someone... A person who actually did not exist. He was impressive on the outside, but on the inside he was huffing and puffing and doing everything in his might so that he could distract people from the fact that he was weak, that he was small, and that he was helpless. So fast forward to 2020 the wizard of oz seems uh, pretty quaint in our day of hyper realistic computer generated uh, imagery i mean we went and saw into uh, the wild and this this dog is completely computer generated that it's it's amazing to me it's uh, it's something that i have a hard time tracking with but we live in this internet age where once imaginary concept such as driverless cars or artificial intelligence so those things are becoming realities or very nearly so. Now nowhere is this truer than in uh, social media where bots and their evil cousins, sock puppets use false identities to either influence or flat out deceive. I mean after all, here's the truth of the, here's the truth of it. You are never going to meet 99.9% of the people, F2F, face-to-face, in the real world. So everything that's presented is in some way artificial. So we create avatars who will represent us online the way that we would like to be represented. Persona that are designed on some level to shape other people's perceptions about who we are. I mean, it's natural for us to create these kinds of uh, things that represent us because we would rather be uh, known for that than the reality. The problem with that is it's only a short step from that point to manipulating others' notions about us to where they are intended to not simply enhance your reputation but also to deceive. Some of you may have actually experienced this. In short, to become puppet masters. In 2007, I went to the Air Education Training Command Symposium, and while there I learned that 75% of the incoming airmen from 18 to 26 we're just fine with having avatars as mentors. We were going through a mentorship program. We were trying to figure out how do you mentor people so that you can bring them up. What Think discipleship in the church. How do we uh, do this in, in the church? And so I brought this information back to the uh, command at, at my base. And their first question was, what? What's an avatar? <laughs> Now the thing is, here's the thing, those airmen who entered in when they were 18 are now in their 30s. And the sad truth is, many people are still saying, what's an avatar? But yet, that's what we're surrounded with. The truth of what is presented on the internet, particularly the social media side of the thing, is airbrushed. It is selective. And it is, in modern political parlance, spin. People spin who they are. And the often, this, goes true for, this is true for Christians as well, the, the vibrant, adventurous, spiritual lives that are presented sometimes on the Internet really are there to cover over a rather mundane, sometimes terrified existence. It's like to use the <laughs> my daughters would love this. Some of you might appreciate it. Some of you won't even know what I'm talking about. But to use the zombie apocalypse language like uh, Will Smith in I Am Legend, uh, the world is populated by the living dead. If that is potentially true of us, is that also could that also be true Of the church. Not only is it, according to Jesus, not only could it be, it actually is true of Sardis. Read with me in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Only six verses there, Revelation 3, 1 through 6, but they pack a powerful punch. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. You Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers and will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father, And before his angels, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In order to make sense of much of this passage, we actually have to delve a little bit into the history of of Sardis. Sardis was once the capital of Lydia, a great and wealthy kingdom in ancient history. In fact, actually up until probably the last 50 years it was uh, common to speak about the wealth of Croesus and yet most of us here we don't even know who he is but he was the king of Sardis perhaps the wealthiest monarch to ever sit on the throne and we've we've largely we've largely forgotten him but his name was synonymous with opulence and wealth. But Sardis had a problem. Their problem was they felt they were so powerful that they could not be invaded. They could not be taken over. And it was that overconfidence, it was that pride, it was that thought that we've got this that led to two surprise invasions. In fact, something they felt was impossible, and it led to the downfall of Sardis. So that by the time of John's writing, Sardis was a mere shadow. The kingdom, once ruled by the mighty Croesus appeared healthy and thriving with all the buildings and the gardens and the architectural beauty, but the reality was it was just relics. It was just stuff from the past carried over into the present. But first, as we look in the text, Christ describes himself here as the one who possesses the seven spirits of God. So think with me for just a moment about that. And if, if you're quick in the Bible or you've got an electronic one, turn there, but otherwise, just listen. Zechariah 4, 1 through 6 says this, And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and and behold, a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps on it. With seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, Lord? Then the angel who answered, uh, uh, who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. He said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. Says the Lord of hosts. Now, the connection, the connection here is undeniable. The symbols, the imagery that are used in the first three chapters of Revelation in Zechariah 4 are evident. Zechariah sees this golden lampstand with a bowl at the top, which fed oil down to each of the seven lights. And next to it were the olive trees, the, the oil's source. So the angel reveals that. These things represent one thing. And that is, is that the source of Israel's power, the source of the Israel's strength was the spirit of God, the very oil that fuels their lamps. Of course, seven is the number of perfection. It's not there's not seven spirits in this sense. There's one spirit of God who gives the power to Israel. And here's where it becomes difficult when you look at the church at Sardis. There's a church there. There's a there's a lampstand there. But in the text, there's not a single commendation. There's nothing that Jesus says, you're doing this right. Of the seven churches, there were two churches where Jesus had no commendation. He had nothing to commend them for. But that doesn't mean that he didn't have something to say. To them, He says, I do have something to say. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. I should think that words like that would shake you to the core. I'm sure it did. For Jesus Christ to say, I see you. I see your works, but you are dead. At some point in the past... Sardis was a, a thriving fellowship, excelling in uh, wonderful ministries, and it made a tremendous name for itself. But the, but the good reputation covering the deadness of the church didn't matter with Christ. You see, he sees right through that, and he declared them dead. So what does that mean? In part, it's in drawing a comparison of the current church to Sardis' past. So you see, the church was like the city. It was impressive on the outside, but there was no reality behind it. Uh, Crisis was long gone, dead, and the riches that were there plundered years in the past. The vibrancy, the comparison here is that in the church, the vibrancy of the work of the Holy Spirit was long gone from the church at Sardis. Nevertheless, I mean, Sardis had to have made a huge impact, pretty big splash at one point, because all the churches knew about Sardis. But, even though the church was well known and shiny and polished on the outside, it had no substance, no depth, no koinonia, that is, no true love. I take it that that's what dead means. Dead means that we don't love one another. Dead means that the people who have that kind of deadness in their hearts need to wake up. Somewhere along the way they died, but no one knew. In November of uh, 2002, Jim Sulkers, he was a 53-year-old maintenance, uh, retired maintenance worker in Manitoba, Canada, he climbed into bed, and that night he died. He was a recluse. He was estranged from his family. Nobody really, really checked up on him very much. But he was—he was quite the techie. So everything that he did in his life was online, and he had all of his bills and everything that had to do. With the maintenance of where he lived, and all of those things, it was all automated. It was automatic. And so it was nearly two years, two years before one concerned relative said, "Hey, you know what? Uh, let's check him out." The police went there, found him mummified. Everything in the apartment was just fine. It was tidy. Nothing wrong. Some of the food in the, you know, the refrigerator was done. But nevertheless, Everything in his life from the outside looked just fine. In fact, Terrence uh, Moran, who co-founded the media uh, ecology program at New York University, said this. For all intents and uh, purposes, this man was virtually alive throughout that time. His life was extended for two years by the technology that he used. I mean, the man appeared to be alive on the outside. The external world would see him as alive, but in fact, he was dead. This is a picture of Sardis, the church. It appeared to have life, but it was not. And I'll tell you this, and I won't go into any details anywhere, that technology can help make a dead church look alive. And we see that in places around the United States. For Sardis, they rested on their their laurels. They had tremendous success in the past, but that success does not guarantee success in the future. It's like uh, Mark Twain's, he had some biting words, uh, wit, when he wrote, give a man a reputation as an early riser and he can sleep till noon. Sardis had a reputation. They had a reputation, but they had no reality. I mean, think back to Zechariah. What would cause the people of God to be dead? Zechariah said, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might. Nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The church at Sardis had quenched, quenched the spirit of God. The spirit, which was the source of Israel's power and strength, is, is it's also our source of power and, and strength. It's also the source of power and strength for the church, for the local bodies that we're a part of. He is the source for us to be alive, to live for him. I mean, their lampstand was there. The, the, the light was apparently there, but there was very little oil. Now, it's just here, just clear up what might be on your mind a little bit, is just that Christ's use of dead doesn't necessarily mean unsaved. Because what he says, verse 3, he is very clear that the church in Sardis was to do a few things. Number one, they were to remember. Remember. The Old Testament is filled with this, right? When you're in difficulty, what is it that you're supposed to do? He always tells us, remember. Remember what the Lord has done for you. And then keep what you've received. Hold on to what you have heard and finally repent. Wake up in verse 2 is not a call to be saved. It is in fact a call to remember, to hold on and to repent. So our present work and our present usefulness for Christ doesn't depend on what we've done in the past at at all. Uh, We have to continue to Live for him and 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 do ministry for him and in his power. Ken Poirot said, "Take action. Success is not guaranteed, but inaction will guarantee failure." Sardis was apparently filled with people who were either nominal Christians or Christians who, uh, more likely, Christians who were not following uh, Christ. And Christ says to them, wake up. I, I don't know if anybody's ever said wake up to you with any sense of urgency or not, but I can recall uh, three separate occasions when my mom came into our room and would whisper with a combination of urgency and intensity, wake up, wake up. We have to leave now. Off we would go. When my mom said these words, I was immediately awake, ready to go, because I knew if we didn't leave, something bad was going to happen. Off we'd go in the car, stay in the car, sometimes for days. We'd end up some unknown place, living hither and thither until we stopped somewhere. I tend to think this, that... If the Lord whispered in your ear gently or quietly or with urgency or intensity, wake up, you would wake up. I hope that I would wake up if he said such a thing to me. Wake up. Because why? Because it meant you were in danger. Wake up. He wants you to become aware. He wants you to see. He wants you to do something ready for whatever the danger might be. I mean, so given that we're told this whole thing uh, is about the Spirit of God, strengthen what remains in the context, Christ is referring to this oil in the lamp that is by my Spirit. It is the Power of the Holy Spirit that's in view here. The Holy Spirit uh, is, uh, we're told that we can quench the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us that in Ephesians. And that we can operate from the flesh in a way that looks like we're operating in in the Spirit. It's really hard to tell the difference from the outside. Barbel like this part maybe, I don't know. I use a phrase all the time that she doesn't like. Perhaps you don't like it either. It's called self licking ice cream cone. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? No, some people say no. In the early 90s, a, an individual who was particularly critical of NASA, and I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm kind of a NASA fan, right? But anyway, he was critical of NASA, and he came up with this phrase NASA is a self licking ice cream cone. What did he mean by that? The purpose of NASA is to send people into space so that they can send more people into space. And then he further defined it as this. A self-licking ice cream cone is an organization whose sole purpose is to maintain its own existence and propagate its own reputation. Sometimes the church, can be a self-licking ice cream cone. Now listen to me carefully. It is possible for me to preach, teach, counsel, visit, and engage in church work in the flesh. Or worse, even for just a paycheck. It's a horrifying thought and it's untrue. But to think that there are not preachers and teachers out there who are not doing it from a position of the strength of their own mind and their own abilities and not the Spirit of God, is naive at best. To think that volunteers are serving Christ and Christ alone is naive. They may be serving their own reputation within the church. Oh, look at what I did. Look at how faithful they are. To build a kingdom for self and not for Christ is not uncommon. Why? Because we're all affected by the fall. All of us. Every one of us has to be aware that Sardis is not far from us. When we do this, we become like the ancient Jews who thought that man was created for the Sabbath. Man was not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for man, we find in Mark 2.27. When the building becomes more important than the people, when a person becomes a problem to be overcome rather than someone to be loved, When programs become more important than individuals, we are moving toward Sardis. And we must be watchful. We must take care that everything that we do is done in the spirit and the power of God. Dr. Vance Havner said this, Every ministry begins with a man. It then becomes a movement. It then becomes a machine. But then it becomes a monument. He says about Sardis, well, this church was in the monument stage of existence. It was living on a past reputation, but it was a shadow of its former self. The, the church at Sardis was in danger. It was in danger of falling if they didn't wake up. The same way that Sardis fell, literally, when they thought it was impossible. When Jesus says that he will come as a thief and not know when, he's not coming as a thief in the night in the way that he's coming at the rapture. He is coming as a thief in the way that Sardis was taking down. In other words, he's coming to judge And you will not know when it is. Why will you not know when it is? Because you think you're doing fine. See, the people in Sardis, they weren't worried about how God looked at them. They thought they were okay. They thought they were doing well. They were happy. They were secure, just like the city was. Finally, this morning, we have something else. As my messages will always turn to, always, we have the comfort of Christ himself. Christ says, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life, I will confess his name before my father, before his angels. And then as he ends all the letters, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Isn't that interesting? Have you thought about that last phrase before? It's not he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to Sardis. He wants us to hear all. He wants us to take all of this in. Why would he want us to take all of this in? Is because in every case, some people and and they, they make proclamations about this. What church they're like. I, I don't. You know. Maybe you could. Maybe you could do that. It's possible, I suppose. But I think it's more likely that all of the elements that we see in all of these churches can impact any single church through the people in the church at any given time. We all know what an oxymoron is. If, if, if you don't... Uh, <laughs> I used to be in the what was called military intelligence. And some people... Some people think that's an oxymoron. Uh, but what it is, is two words that appear to be contradictory that are, that are stitched uh, together. Uh, things that they wouldn't, wouldn't fit. Like, uh, you know, I might go to uh, Corelli's or whatever after uh, this and, and order some jumbo fri- uh, shrimp. I want some jumbo shrimp. What in the world is a jumbo shrimp? Or something is awfully good. Oh, that's awfully good. Or freezer burn. What what do you mean? Or old old news, right? Can you think of any greater oxymoron than dead church? Dead church. Of all the condemnations and all the letters <coughs> I believe that the church at Sardis gives us the one that's the most insidious because of its appearances. Because it tells us that people can and will, out of the flesh, out of their own mind, out of their own heart, not seeking God, Not seeking the Spirit, but simply because they're good at something. Or they find something that gives meaning to them. And so they're serving themselves. Or they're serving the institution. And they're not serving from the heart, Jesus Christ. And that's why he says, wake up. Wake up, because once we awake, we become sensitive to this. And is what I'm. Have you ever sat down and asked yourself reflectively the question, "Why do I do what I do?" You may not always like the answer to that question if you have real honesty with yourself. This is insidious, and the Lord says. Up at the beginning of the, the text, what he says is your works are incomplete. Why, what makes the works that we do complete? It's that they are enlivened by the Holy Spirit of God. And once we awake, see, we're sensitive to that. It's not that we don't... All, I'm not shooting for perfection here. Not by any means. We are human we will be human. One day we will be perfected humans. What a glorious day that will be. But while we're on earth, we have mixed motives. All right, So I'm not asking you to dig around and say, Oh, I have this one little... Thought. Not at all. I'm just saying that are you, is the overwhelming motivation to bring God the glory or to bring the glory to self. Once we realize, once that sensitivity comes upon us, we'll realize that we haven't allowed the Holy Spirit uh, to allow us to become submissive to Him in our relationships, our work, our worship, our walk with Christ. Once we wake up, we'll recognize God's claim on our lives anew. And then we'll pursue through His Word, we wake up. We hold on. We repent. Of all the, uh, the churches in of the seven, uh, I believe this plagues the West uh, more than any other great edifices uh, to Christ. So many of whom have no life whatsoever. When we wake up, We can be free to serve him in a way that's complete and purposeful. You see, we're all, we think of Oscar Zoroaster, Oz, as a quirky, odd little man doing very strange things. We're all Oz. We all stand behind a curtain because we don't want anybody to know who we really are. We're all pulling levers and pushing buttons and speaking loudly out there so that someone will think I am somebody. The thing is is that staying behind the curtain only makes your smallness permanent. Let Toto open the curtain, right? Open the curtain and there's someone who can make you whole. There's someone who can make you a somebody. There's someone who can give you life or give your life back. And that's Jesus Christ, the righteous. We do not need to remain dependent on our resources. There is a place from which the Spirit of God flows to empower us to lives of ministry, to make the works that we do complete. I was, I was thinking, um, what if the great physician, what if you were to hold out your wrist today and allow the great physician To take your pulse. What would he find? What would he declare? What would he say about your life? About the life of his spirit in you? I pray that he would not have to say to me, wake up. But if he did, I pray that I would. Father, we are even now in this dimension that we have time. We give you our eternal thanks. We thank you that you have generated our regenerated, I should say, our hearts so that we might be able to know that our praise to you now is by faith. One day it will be by sight. We do look for that day. Those of us who know you and have trusted your Son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation, we are forever grateful, holy, holy, holy are You, Lord God Almighty. Amen.